God, I thank you so much for your word that you continue to speak to us. God, in times like what Nehemiah was having, that, that they had to continue the work even under threat and somewhat isolation because they were spread out all throughout the town. God, we see that in us today that we are spread all throughout the town and townships where we live that we still have the work to do, that you still call us to be part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus, I pray today that as we look back on your faithfulness that you provided to Israel through all of their struggles and adversity, God, I pray that we would know and apply that your promises are still true today, that you will carry us through the adversity, and God, that it is your work that is happening. And so, Jesus, as we dig into Galatians 5 today, God, I pray that we would land resolutely on the trust of your faithful work. God, that we will participate as you lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text today is Galatians 5, 1 to 6. And Galatians 5 is one of the most memorized Bible verses in, in church culture today, but maybe not all of us know it, and that's just fine. So let's, uh, let's just read it right now, Galatians 5, 1 to 6. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Wow. Wow. So much going on in this passage right here. There's so much happening. You know, there are two things that strike me about this passage. Uh, the first one, I, I hear the freedom call. And because I'm a child that watched movies in the 90s, I still remember Mel Gibson's Braveheart, famous scenes where he's calling for freedom and he's riding the horse up and down the battle line and then just, you know, going into that, that uh, fierce charge and everybody is just all revved up and, and on board. And the second one is a scary line that's in the text, you have fallen away from grace. There's, there's big things happening in this little uh, parecope, this passage. Six verses, two really big themes. You know, it's a, it's a powerful statement that Paul makes that, that translates well. It's a rally call. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery, as an old text, you know, an older translation put it. This, this idea that it's for freedom. You know, in, in Paul's day, Paul isn't speaking about governmental freedom. He could have been, 
But in the context of the entire letter of Galatians, he's not speaking about governmental freedom. When we think of freedom here in our context, we think, oh, well, we have governmental freedom. What more freedom should we need? You know, it's, it's interesting the way that freedom has changed in terms of what we're thinking about when we talk about freedom. It's, it has changed. And so, so we have this rally call to be free. But in our context, we go, wait, 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 aren't we free? Like, don't we have our autonomy? Can't we work where we want and do what we want and buy the houses we want and eat the food we want and dress ourselves the way we want? Aren't we free? And I would say yes, in so many ways, in governmental ways, we are still free. We're very free in this world, and freedom is autonomy. You can do pretty much what you want as long as you don't hurt somebody else in our culture. It's really the rules and the laws that we live by. But when, 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 uh, when, when Paul says, what is freedom, he's, he's saying that there's freedom that's to be offered. And, and it's a rally cry. But sometimes we read this and, and, and it's like a rally cry that has no war. Because we feel so much freedom, it's a rally cry that has no much, no war. It lacks the war. So, in the context of writing the book, Paul's actually choosing to not talk about governmental freedom. He's still a Roman and Jew living under the Roman world. He's not talking about you're being freed from Caesar, although in a way he is, but in a way he's not. What he's actually linking this to is religious freedom. He's actually linking this to a religious freedom freedom. You're right, okay. So someone just commented on Slack that we're not completely free to buy houses wherever we want, but that's not governmental. That's just simply circumstantial because housing prices are completely ridiculous, and I know there are numerous people and numerous families in our church that, that are really being bothered by that, and, and so really, really good point. But we have this freedom from religion, that God, that, that Paul is talking about here. See, remember, we're going to go through a rapid recap. The Galatian church is a new church planted by Paul where there are religious traditionalists coming in and saying, yeah, it's really good that you've got Jesus, but you really need to do this, 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 and that. It's really nice that you believe that Jesus has included you, and yeah, we'll even give you that, but really to be included, you've got to be circumcised. We've also seen Paul talk about you've got to obey the, the feasts and the, and, the, and the rituals of the calendar. You have to look like us, act like us, eat like us, dress like us, become like us. And Paul is saying it is for freedom from all of that stuff that you have been set free. Don't be yoked again with the yoke of slavery. Don't be burdened again with these regimented after rules. You have Christ. You have Christ. And so, this is what Paul's saying. Paul gets personal, and he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ has no more advantage to you. Wow. 
Recall Paul's already stated that those who put their faith in Torah are in slavery. They are the children of Hagar. They are in slavery. They cannot attain to God through their legal understanding. We can't do God's work for Him. God is the one who is faithful. God is the one who does the work. God is the one who calls you. And so God is the one who carries it through. So what we see here is that that slavery happens when we put our faith in something that we do to get to God. This is what Paul's talking about. He's like, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's not by putting faith in your actions, your behaviors, your things that make you included. It's because Jesus, who is truly human, has made you righteous in the eyes of God. End of story. You are free to be in communion with God. You are free to, as he gets to a little bit later, and we'll touch on this in in a couple of weeks, you are free to live by the Spirit. And so, this is so important for us. This is so important for us. So we get this sense, Paul's rally cry, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. So none of us are in danger of the exact same thing because Paul is specifically tying this to circumcision and circumcision is a non-issue in our church cultures. You know, it's, it's something that we go, oh, well, this isn't really our concern. You know, Paul's addressing the day, that day that these people were being forced into circumcision to truly be connected And so we shouldn't have to worry about this. We have freedom, yeah, we know that, and it's all good. But the problem is that there is still a danger for us today. There's still a danger. Our religious systems are always created with a good heart. They're always created with a good heart, but can easily become a blocker to God's gracious inclusion. They can easily become a boundary, a block in which we stop people from knowing the grace of God. The war that we might not recognize that we face is is when we say, yeah, I know that you believe that Jesus died for your sins, but you need to work to get this action out of your life. And Paul's going to give us a a, a framework to deal with the sins that God is going to remove from us, but it is not through a top-down religious system. It's not from an authoritarian, you have to look like this, you have to give this much, you have to do this, you have to make sure that you conform. And Paul is saying that it can't be that. He's crystal clear. He's saying our faith is in the faithfulness of Jesus. It's not in how I've earned God's favor by obeying certain laws. Our faith is in It's not in how I fulfilled the promises of God by my own resolve. That was Abraham's mistake. Fulfilling the promises of God through Hagar by his own resolve. Our faith is in the faithfulness of Jesus. And and I really want to point this out right now. Our faith is in the faithfulness of Jesus in the fact that he died 
on the cross and rose again. Absolutely. But our faith is in the future faithfulness of Jesus to do the work in us that he promised in advance. Our faith is in Jesus to do the work in us. Remember Galatians 3, 1 and 4? You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit by having faith in Jesus, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you forcing it and being like, yes, I am going to, by an act of my own resolve, fix my own internal issues and ignore the work of Jesus in your own heart? How could you be so foolish? That's what Paul's saying here. If you, by your own works, are going to ensure your own salvation, if you're going to circumcise yourself to ensure God's favor, he gets really harsh. Jesus is of no value to you. If you're going to make yourself saved, if you're going to retain your own salvation by the acts of your own moral will, you find that Jesus is of no value to you. Someone commented, the church puts up so many stumbling blocks. You know, we, we trip people so often as they head to the cross. By our expectations of you must look like this or you must do this and you must really repent and prove it to me. Wait, yes, you must repent. Not to me, but to Jesus. And allow Jesus to transform your heart. Today I challenge us with Paul's thinking. If you, by your own effort, are going to ensure your salvation, if you, by your own moral goodness, are going to shore up God's favor for yourself, Jesus may be of no value to you. You who started in the Spirit, but are finishing according to the works of the flesh. So, here is where we go. Jesus sets you free from the systems that say you have to do something to be included. God is the one who purifies you and changes you on his timeline. I stand resolutely as a witness and a testament that it is God who works to will and to act in me according to his good glory. It's God's work, and he's doing it. And he's doing it. Until we believe this to our core, we harm everyone that doesn't look like or act like we want them to. See, someone says, someone says, I believe that Christians should be law-abiding, but we also should stand up, um, photograph, we should also stand up against those who enslave us with rules and special conditions. Absolutely. And the reason that we're able to be law-abiding is because the Holy Spirit is genuinely, faithfully, 
doing work inside of us. It is not a metric that helps us determine who is better, who is in, who is worse, who is struggling. That's not the metric. We are all called into relationship with Jesus. And so, yes, we, did, we are going to be law-abiding because God is the one who is faithfully doing work in our hearts. It's not because Promised Church said, you have to do this now on my timeline, on our timeline. It's not that. We, together as a community, allow ourselves to be shaped and molded in the presence of God. So, until we believe this to our core, we will harm everyone that does not look or act how we want them to. Everyone. The church, this church, needs to view inclusion only based on faith in Jesus' faithfulness. We need to put total faith in God to complete the work in all of us. If God can make me righteous, if God can change the evil that's inside of me and make me more like Jesus, God can do it for each one of us. But I know the years that God has invested in transforming me. I know the years that God has taken me from being an angry young boy to being a minister in a church, and that isn't even the ideal. It just happens to be my job. But I know the years of transformation that went on. I know the times when I was like, God, it's not moving fast enough. I'm stuck in my own crap. And God went, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. Someone wrote, I'm thankful that God reminds me of his incredible grace and the mercy towards me, which keeps me humble and in an attitude of grace towards others. Look, if, if our church is going to do this, we're going to realize that we are going to die in our own unresolved sin issues. There will be sin issues that each one of us takes to the grave. But we have our faith in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is greater than all of that. Jesus is the one who transforms us from glory to glory. This mortal body will put on immortality where I will be changed and transformed in the twinkling of an eye. The things that were weighing me down will be removed from me by the grace of God. And that is true for every single one of us. Every one of us. This is the grace and the glory of God. I must believe that God can resolve other people's sin issues as well. If my faith is dependent on Jesus' faithfulness to deal with my separation from God, then my faith is also dependent on Jesus' faithfulness to deal with their separation from God. He is calling us, and he is saying, come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take upon me my yoke, because my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. 
And so Jesus says for us to put everything on him. And guys, that might be the hardest spiritual discipline in the world to do. It might be easier to say, let me try to fix my own problems than it is for me to say, dear Jesus, what are you changing in my life? What are you challenging? It's easier for me to take the reins of control and to finish what the Spirit started and to finish it in the flesh. It is easier for me to do that than it is for me to say, God, let me have patience and humility while you do your work in me. Someone says, (laughs) someone says, I'm laughing because this time I used the word crap. I apologize for all the children. I am a terrible pastor, but there's earthy statements. Kids, you're not allowed to say crap. There are earthy statements that are to be said. That, that really, when we're dealing with the darkness inside of us, that that's what these do. This is how the, when somebody says, this is how I see the biblical version of adoption. A perfect inclusion motivated by God, not by my worthiness or by my works. Change is gradual and ongoing. These are true statements. We need to understand that it is God's faithfulness who makes us right. And that includes everybody. Everyone. I don't care what your sin is, what your identity is, who you think you are, whether you think you are too dark to ever enter the presence of God. God calls to you and says, it is you who I love, who I want to see healed and restored and brought into light and brought into life. And if you want that, it is only through the faithfulness of Jesus that you'll see it. And it is only as Jesus continues to work faithfully in you, that it continues to happen. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life to the full. And as a church, sometimes we want to do the work for Jesus. And we must resist that. Who is it that removes all forms of evil in its time? Is it the church? Is it the pastor? Is it an individual? No, it is God who works all things out. It is God who justifies, God who sanctifies, and it's God who transforms our mortal bodies. It is God who does the work to remove the evil from each of us. And once again, I'm going to quote Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay. If you live like it is you who will make it all right, Jesus becomes of no value to you. We learned last week you can't do God's work for him, and now we're going to go into the second one. The second part of the verse here says, and I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who will be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. This is the second image I referred to. You have fallen away from grace. Okay, so maybe the danger that we have in losing our salvation isn't by our moral slip-ups. 
but by our insistence to do God's work for him. Maybe it's not by I kept on sinning. Maybe it's by saying I made myself better in the eyes of God because I did everything right. Falling away from grace. Remember last week, Abraham took everything into his own hands? Took the promise of God and said, I'll do this for you, God? Do we do that? I will help God out by making sure that his promises happen. And then the slave is born. Paul is saying here, if you take your salvation into your own hands by shoring up your approval by God for your own effort, by your own efforts, you're in danger of committing the same error that Abraham committed. Now, I want you to notice that the, Abraham, the, er- that Ab- the error that Abraham committed did not stop him from receiving the promises of God. So, so there's still that tension to be had in Scripture. That Abraham, even though he took it into his own hands, God still was faithful to his promises. Even when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful. But, but Paul's giving a clarion warning here. You need to be careful when you take it into your own hands and say, this is what you must do in order to be accepted. Someone says there are some changes that we must and can insist on when someone accepts Jesus, challenging, changing from beating one's wife, that can't be gradual. Okay, here's the, here's the interesting thing. I don't think that that's a religious thing. That's a civil thing. And, and absolutely, that's not permitted, but you didn't have to come to Jesus to know that that's not permitted. And that action did not stop Jesus from loving you. And so absolutely, there are, there are civil things, there are things that were like, yeah, that's, that, you just can't, you can't abuse your wife. I think that's what 1 Corinthians 6 is getting at, when the church becomes, holds a lesser value of the way that you treat other people than the world does. Well, we can't allow for that. That's ridiculous. But we can't go like, oh, you've got to be this. <laughs> Straighten your tie, do up your upper upper button and don't use bad words when you preach. <laughs> what is we have to allow God to do his work in his time. God is working. He is faithful. Once again, the question for Paul is not whether you did enough to shore up your salvation, to shore up your transformation. But it comes to the hard attitude which comes out in prayer, which says, God, what are you transforming in my life? When you hear God's voice, place active trust in it because God is faithfully changing you. Observe what God does in your life. Allow God to lead you. It's this type of freedom that Christ set you free for. So that you don't have to measure up to the religious systems, but you know that Jesus, who was faithful, remains faithful. 
and he will finish the work that he started in you. Philippians 1, 6. I thought I was preaching from Galatians, but apparently I'm preaching from Philippians. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So here's our calling as a Christian. You can't do anything beyond listening to what God is teaching you and allow him to transform your life. That's it. That's the active call of the Christian. Jesus said, I can't do anything except for that which I see the Father do. Oh, I want to be like Jesus. Good. You can't do anything except for listen to what God is teaching you and allow God's transformation in your life. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. When, you, when God says something needs to be changed in you, God makes it crystal clear. It's not always what you want to be changed in you. In fact, sometimes it's what you don't want God to see. That he's like, ah, oh, that one. You're, you're trying to, to front that this is what needs to be changed, but I, I see this. This needs to be changed. It's not about being good enough. It's not about balancing the scales of morality. But it's about God being faithful to his promises. So Paul does bring the letter around. Next week he'll lead us down the road of how the transformation happens. You know, but we need to rely on God's approval. So thank you for saying, <laughs> thank you for, for joining with us. A, a final comment, uh, Joel says this. It's easy to say how clear, that's clearly wrong with or without knowing God. But I feel like sometimes the early church that Paul wrote to were guilty of some of the sins that fit into that category. Yes, you're right. So, so there was definitely a call for the church to be influencing culture itself. But it wasn't about restriction. And honestly, it does feel like we should do a study in, in 1 Corinthians 6. But we will do that another day. There is a lot of discussion to be had there. But thank you for your participation in service today. I pray that you are blessed and encouraged. And most of all, I pray that our posture towards God is to trust his faithful work inside of us as a community. Let me pray. God, it is your work that you transform every single one of us. We know and we trust that you will transform us because we see the evil in us. We're, we're really good at picking it out, especially in others as well. We see it, we know it, we struggle with it. But we need you to be the one that purifies us. We need the impetus for change to come from the empowering of the Spirit and not from the pounding of a pulpit. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would do your work in each one of us. Let us not ignore the evil that dwells and festers and crouches at our door waiting to consume us, but let us rely on your faithfulness. You will set us free. You have set us free. And so, Jesus, we look to you for inclusion. We look to you by your grace for, for our purification, our uh, sanctification. We look to you to make us right. And we pray that you do it by the work of your Spirit, as you promised to. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you, Promise Church. We pray that God will bless you. Have a great day.